Welcome to the API experience. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the API experience. My name is Matt McClarty. I'm the CTO of Boomi. It's great to have you here. Joining me today, of course, Mr. Mike Amundsen. Mike, what's up? Hey, hey, not a lot. Uh, just uh, busy working away here, trudging through the wintertime in Kentucky. We just experienced nine days without any direct sunshine, which is kind of freaking me out. But <laughs> I'm hanging in there, taking it one day at a time. Do, I hope everything's do, going good for you. Uh, yeah, it's it's good. We're into February, uh, you know. Um, That's right. It's uh, nine days, you know. If it was only nine days, I I would be happy <laughs> here, in, here in BC. I don't know. I, I What's the it. sun? Is this is the sun that thing that's up in the sky sometimes? Yeah. I, the round know. disc, that's right. Yeah. We'll see so. it in March. I think so. We'll see it in March. Um no, it's <laughs> it's good. I mean, I, I think that uh <laughs> I've I we were noting yesterday driving uh the streets here where it is really dark and, and rainy a lot. Um some people yeah. still have their festive lights up. <laughs> it's that bad. I think I think they're just clinging on, just trying to see that's through right. the dark. But that's right. You know, it's always Power darkest tool. before the dawn. So here we are. It is 2024. Like we are in a new year oh, now. Yeah. I think we're yeah. we're even at the point now where, it, you know, I don't. I'm not sure if people can say Happy New Year anymore. Right? New month. We're out of January. So. No, I, I don't think I, I don't think you're allowed. No, I, th- I think it's. I think some people get offended. I, I think it's a a pretty exciting time though because this is a big year. I think you know, and on a lot of fronts. But let's talk. Let's talk technology. Um, we had the whirlwind 2023, which was yeah. just kind of pushed uh, pushed in a different direction that that you know maybe some people expected, but I think it was quite surprising for others with the whole the year of Chat GPT. Yeah. And I think now we're into a year where everyone's kind of trying to figure out what all that means, what the implications are. I think it's fair to say, uh, being at the dawn of this new technology. Uh, era paradigm, whatever we want to think about, like it, it is a, a technological shift that is impactful enough that it kind of it really kind of makes you think about have to think about things differently in all aspects of what we do in the tech field. So I think it's great, and that is definitely aligned with the topic that we want to talk about today. Uh-huh. Um, as much as we're, uh, you know, when we talk about AI, when we talk about the possibilities of AI. The bottom line is uh, data is at the center, right? And I think that, you know, maybe maybe we didn't see everything coming together in the AI space the way it did all of a sudden, but it was, there's been a long progression there. And I think that the, probably the whole seeds of the AI revolution we're living in now, or maybe, I mean, you can, you can go way back to whatever the pre-computers with von Neumann, lots of stuff and cybernetics and everything like that. But really the whole big data explosion that happened kind of late, late aughties or two thousands, um, Hadoop. And, you know, when, when people started to see the possibilities of dealing with massive amounts of data and then the progression that came from there through, uh, machine learning, deep learning, you know, that's really what's led us to this point. So, and it's something that we've observed for a while, I think, right. like, and been yeah. talked about is this 
intersection and convergence of the two worlds that that have existed in in technology to a large extent probably an oversimplification but we've <laughs> at least at least know, one of the two <laughs> in in the enterprise space we've we've always had this kind of straight through processing real time OLTP distributed application world where user facing applications core operational systems and then we have we've had the analytics world which i think was to right. a large degree offline um batch fed because the just the processing power needed to bring all that data together was so massive and you had latency and everything well since that big data revolution started right, we've had uh, this convergence coming on so um you know, I, I think that these worlds are inevitably coming together and AI is definitely a forcing function. So we have a very special guest today. Um, and okay. I'm, I'm, I'm especially excited because she's a colleague of mine at Boomi, but uh, is doing a lot more than just the work that she's doing at Boomi. So today's, today's guest to talk about what we're, what we're going to call data-driven API thinking is Swagata Ashwani, who is a principal data scientist at Boomi host of her own podcast, the Data Dojo podcast. We'll talk more about that in a bit. And also chapter lead at Women in Data. So welcome to the API experience, Swagata. Thank you so much, uh, Matt and Mike, for having me. It's been, I've been following your pod podcast for a while, and it's a pleasure to to merge our worlds of API and data science <laughs> together. Absolutely. That's I'm right. Sorry. The data, and, yeah, we're converging the tech and we're converging the, the podcast here. That's awesome. So, you know, when when... If you've heard our shows, you know what's coming next, right? We always we always like to to understand every, people's frame of reference and and background. So what you know, what was your background? I mean, you you kind of come into the to the to the API space in a in a different sort of a way. So you know what what was your whole path into the world of data? Yeah, well, so it's been kind of a exploratory path. It's not like I randomly. I was always sure that I want to be a data scientist and um, being from an Indian Asian family, you know, we have a set path, like we have to uh, finish our engineering and mm -hmm. more often than not, it's computer science for, for most of us. And then figure out, you know, after you finish your engineering, figure out what you want to do and specialize in something, whether it's MBA or do a master's. Uh, mm -hmm. Growing up with a very uh, competitive family, I, my, <laughs> I saw my mother, she was, um, an engineer and then she became a CQO at a very, very young age for her time. So I'd always seen her visiting to the United States and different countries and giving me that word exposure and knowledge from a very young age. So I always knew that I had to come uh, go out and uh, do a master's from, from US. And I decided to pursue a master from Carnegie Mellon University, which was um, really wow. a dream come true for me because um, I, being in India, we only know like a certain set of universities and CMU was like, you know, if you get into CMU, your life is sorted, you'll, you'll do well. <laughs> and when I was looking into the courses, one thing that struck me was that I didn't want to do the traditional masters in computer science or masters in a particular stream of engineering. I wanted to do something which is a mix of engineering and maybe design, maybe uh, management, like a sort of everything and i literally i remember googling at that time engineering plus design plus management that was the naive <laughs> google search i did 
and I bumped into this course from Carnegie Mellon, which is called Integrated Innovation. And they had this Venn diagram wow. of engineering, design, <laughs> and management. I was like, wow, how did they read my mind? And perfect. I, I was like, wow. I was like just blown away with that Venn diagram. I was like, that's it. This is what I'm doing. And I luckily got in. And I was so fortunate to be at such a esteemed university and while I was pursuing my master's, although I was enjoying the design and management aspect of uh, learning, but I did miss being being the nerd I always was. I did miss being more <laughs> in the technical space. So I randomly took a class called Introduction to Machine Learning, which was a very popular class. You don't get in. You just have to audit it. So I was, like, I was lucky enough to audit that class. Mm. And that just blew my mind. I was fascinated that how much data is evolving and how it's so important it's like it's like the new age oil for everybody it's everybody knows everybody wants it so mm -hmm. from that day i decided okay i'm going to use my design and management skills that i've learned from this course and pivot into a more machine learning data science career because i absolutely enjoy it and it, it doesn't feel like work it just feels like fun to me so since then, there has been no looking back. I have been fascinated with data. I've tried to pivot into different uh, industries and experience with retail and healthcare and now with Bumi. So I've been enjoying uh, playing with data and getting more insights. So now it's just going to get more and more exciting with NLMs. Amazing. Excellent. Yeah. The uh, um, You're mentioning Carnegie Mellon uh, reminds me one of my sort of one of my heroes in the whole design and architecture space is Paul Clements, mm. who uh, taught at Carnegie Mellon. And yeah. um, I never got to actually experience a, a class at Carnegie Mellon. They wouldn't let me in, but uh, <laughs> I just, I've always, it's always been something that I've looked forward to. So it's, it's great to, great to see that, um, that connection as well. And, and that you had that experience. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, as, as you can tell, again, listening to the, uh, podcast. We're very much in the API world space. Um, and that kind of, uh, when I think about design and build and, and challenges uh, of uh, APIs, I always kind of default to that user-facing, restful API kind of thing about moving data around and, you know, thinking of data as sort of uh, the the materials that get moved through the, moves through the system rather than thinking of data as sort of fundamental. But right. Um, that's not really the way I think you think about it, right? From the from the data science uh, standpoint, this idea of RESTful APIs and documents and caching, that's not sort of the same thing. How, how, how do you think about it? How How is data important in, 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 in the world of data science? What is the source? What are the stages? How does it move around? What, what do you think of from, from your perspective? Yeah, right. I think pretty much... Um little bit different from how you think we we do think yeah. about apis because that's how we test our preliminary results and it's an easy way to interact with with users and people who can test our our models so i think it's rightfully you know you say that the world of this client server architecture has been mm -hmm. in existence for a few decades so rest apis is is uh, the most important means for clients to interact with servers so i understand mm -hmm. the bias being in this field that you have but I also have to say that in the past couple of years and now even decades, data has become so democratized. Data science has become so democratized. Like hmm. we are living in the world of app economy where 
everything ultimately translates into something which is user friendly app that is easy to use secure and scalable and there has been an evolution that the world has seen you know i've i've been fortunate to see that the assembly language programming on like green terminals to desktop apps to web based apps and now to sophisticated mobile apps but ultimately the the most pivotal aspect of all of these is the idea of making user friendly apps which are easy to use and the richer they are the more popular they get and the more reach they have they'll be able to give more insights and fast decision to people who want to use it and this is absolutely achievable by using rest apis coming back to how data science and how we approach how data science data moves in the field of data science there are a couple of steps and these are irrespective of which background and which field you're working mm-hmm. it's pretty much the same first and most important like we say that data is the heart of of any data science any machine learning model you build so we have to ensure that we collect relevant data and we have the relevant data sources and data can be collected from various sources like you know social media or iot devices or various databases and that is the first step so make sure that you have relevant data and data sources that is identified and once you identify that data the second step is ingesting that data into storage solutions like data warehouse or data lakes and then the most important another important step is to cleanse and transform our data so data is never data is always messy we need to cleanse and transform it to to meet our needs based on the use case based on what we think is relevant and what's actually adding value and then data scientists typically use tools like uh, visualization tools like tableau or power bi and programming languages like python ml frameworks like tensorflow and platforms like jupyter notebook to kind of do some experimental testing and then based on these experiments remove some anomalies or ensure that the right and relevant data is present and we clean it and then after the data is extracted we then feed it into you know some sort of model and most more often than not it's like a transformer model which is used to kind of learn from the data uh, do some sort of chunking and embedding and then store store it in a in a vector database mm-hmm. and once that we have those embeddings or the learnings that we learn from the data we perform some sort of modeling or analysis um, using various models and when it's ready we deploy it now this is where you know the the api aspect comes and handy and very important for us we choose um, microservice architecture and here you know apis interact with the data model that we have and we can provide various parameters like you know temperature token length and all of this and it's so easy having that sort of control with an api and be able to deploy something that quickly and before we actually productionize it we always create an api and um release it to a beta users or testers and you know making tweaks to certain parameters and get, getting a quick feedback it's it's very very relevant and it makes our life cycle so easy and um, scalable for us i just just sort of on i mean that's that's really interesting i have a I have a few things to probe on there but just on that specifically around you know, API is becoming like just the easiest way to get people to plug in and use it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that I, I always kind of picture SQL and, you know, sort of ad hoc querying being a very 
easy thing for people to do, but is it, is it just the distributed nature of all the different types of systems that people would want to play with that makes APIs the choice there and the, 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 the difficulty around distributing SQL? Yeah, I think even with SQL, uh, you're doing like a very preliminary analysis. Now we're talking about building a model and models are typically very big in size. You cannot mm -hmm. interact with them. It's, mm -hmm. it's like a large pickle or some big file which just sits there and you can't really uh, understand it. Not every user can understand what it does. So mm -hmm. I think also in terms of scalability, like APIs are inherently scalable and can handle like large amount of concurrent requests so that, you know, mm -hmm. we, we can have concurrent people talking to it at the same time. And um, it's the scalability aspect and the user friendliness, easy to deploy. Uh, mm -hmm. You can even have like some sort of authentication, authorization. You can interact with different services at the same time. So those all, and you can also access data from like different sources, like in SQL, I guess there is a limitation. And primarily like it's it limits you to preliminary research and experiment uh, when it comes to SQL or some sort of mm -hmm. dashboarding. But when it comes to scaling and authorization and ease of use and mm -hmm. deploying and productionizing, I think APIs are the way to go. Is there an element too with APIs that, you know, you can sort of lead the witness a little bit with consumers where you can structure things in a certain way so they know what to do? Like, I'm just wondering if that's that's part of it as well, as opposed to the the daunting aspect of, oh, you know, here's a huge data set, go, go, go you know, go do what you want with it. It's more like, here are the things we want you to do with the, the data set. Is that, is that part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Like we, we do a lot of like with the advent of like the, I think the idea from prompt engineering and uh, when we are deploying all these LLMs, there is a lot of aspect of um, training or making sure that um, user anybody who's using that uh, our models via API, they know what to do because there are already already these uh, prompts yeah. and instructions that are given as part of it. So they they know what to expect and how to. There is a fallback mechanism for everything for every scenario, as well. So so that's that's kind of what I was I was I was thinking as you're talking about this. Um, APIs are, I guess, more scalable. Um, sort of a wider audience. You don't have to know a data model or a data language, especially if you're using LLMs, you can actually just use prompts, as you say. Right. Um, so, so is, is it, APIs make just this, this idea of shipping things about, or actually getting the prompt to the, you know, to the engine and, and back again? Is that where the APIs are? I mean, it's not like, you know, Matt was talking about, can you kind of lead the witness? You don't have an API that says, tell me about Mike Amundsen's documents. That's not an API, right? It's mm -hmm. it's sort of, is it, it seems like it sort of has to do with just the fact that you have a scale and a complexity that's a little daunting for a lot of people. So the prompts kind of help you with that, right? Is that is that the way to think about the yeah, API? Yeah, that's the right thinking. Like the aspect of, guiding the witness and those kind of things are in the behind the scenes happening in in our lambdas or some like service serverless architecture that we have defined but yeah the the idea of using apis is more in terms of uh, scalability and ease of use and interacting with the users great yeah now now when you're describing the whole flow of data in you know in 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 the world of data science it's something that's always struck me like we we need to have these perspectives to 
uh, it's important for us to structure things and, and, and the perspective of looking at data in that, that sort of pipeline sequential view, I think is definitely important. But what's also struck me, I guess, coming from a different world is ultimately if your pipeline starts with data coming in from a number of sources, you mentioned social networks, could be applications, enterprise data, all that, and then goes through that whole process and comes out rendered in models that are then deployed. A lot of times I think they're deployed back into those same systems that were the sources. And so I, I almost feel like there's this dual, duality of the this data world where it's part pipeline in a sequential way and part network in that everything is is connected and, and the beginning becomes the end and so on. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, is that, are you seeing, like, I, I think one of the ways this, this uh, sort of manifests itself is now we're seeing that historically, just because of, I think, the constraints I talked about earlier, where you had to put all this data offline in order to do the heavy duty analytics processing. As things become more real time, I think, are we, are we shifting away now from sort of batch feeding and those scheduled, you know, sequential tasks to more of a real-time event feeding? And, and I'm just wondering, like, how much that that sort of duality of partly partly pipeline, partly network is really bleeding into the data science world. Yeah, absolutely. I think the responsiveness and real-time data processing has become the need in, in, in the past couple of years and months. So event streaming helps you know in handling large amount of data dynamically and it's able to update the entire ecosystem with with sort of an asynchronous mechanism even like kafka can handle mm. real time and large volume of data and these are the things that are being extensively used because how much most of the applications and most of the products that we are seeing these days rely on instant response and real time data so it also, you know, integrates very well with these microservice architecture. So, you know, models can make prediction at runtime and as and when the, the new data streams are coming, learn from it at real time and then uh, give the output. So hmm. this this kind of shift in, you know, from like a bulk data movement, like ETL to event streaming is happening at a very rapid phase. And that's how hmm. even we as data scientists need to adapt and learn like, okay, we can't do, we can't have like a model sitting there and um, just based on historic responses train, we need to adapt it to like um, real time learn and do some sort of event streaming, Kafka and those like, so that our models can be dynamic and learn real time and still be, still provide the results without any latency. That sounds like a huge challenge just to change because I kind of, I guess it's my brain, right? I grew up in that ETL space when you were talking about cleaning data and normalizing data, things like that, that ETL would be so important before anybody kind of got their hands on it. But that's, that's shifting now so much with the yeah. streaming models, right? Is yeah. it, is it, so on the streaming side, are we, you know, people talk about data lakes or something like that. Are we just throwing everything into a big bucket or is there, is there still structure behind that, uh, that data storage that, that really comes into play that affects the way it's processed or, understood or used in LLMs and yeah. other things. We still need that, some structure, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Like it, it all boils down to having a balance. And more often than not, we tend to have a system where it has a balance of both of these. It's not like 
without having structure, it's it's difficult to um, have like a productionized model. So more often than not, and even in the case of companies I've worked with, even at Boomi, we luckily don't have the the scenario where we absolutely need to have all real time responses. And mm-hmm. we have the privilege of having some, maybe down the road, we have some sort of model, which is a amalgamation of both these approaches, which is what we do. Mm-hmm. Typically, we do have the ETL and data structure and all of that in uh, in hindsight, but we also try to make sure that use merge these event streaming and take advantage of the structure from the ETL. And the latency does get affected by a couple of seconds, but it's all about finding that right balance and what it depends use case to use case. So typically it's like 20, 30, 20 80 or uh, 20 being the real time mm-hmm. and 80 being the ETL. But I envision it's going to rapidly change and we need to also adapt and figure out how we can uh, take advantage of both the systems and come up with an ideal solution. Excellent. Yeah, makes sense. This is the API experience brought to you by Boomi. So, so on sort of a similar line there, you know, in terms of the, even the, the data science paradigm shifting, like I think with, with LLMs, um, my, my feeling is, I mean, I've actually talked to some organizations who are claiming that they're building their own LLMs. I'm not sure how large the LLMs are because it seems like they want to be more sort of industry targeted, but but for the most part, like the the expense, the infrastructure, just the scale needed to build a fully functioning LLM is massive, right? And I think right. it's kind of, we would equate it, I guess, in the real-time apps world of like building your own hyperscaler cloud. Like it's just, I think, yeah. I, I remember companies trying to build private cloud infrastructure and then realizing why why AWS <laughs> existed, right? I think, so. Yeah. so when it comes to LLMs, like, there isn't, I think for the most part, most companies are just going to need to be working with these foundational models. I think that's fairly well accepted. And, and, but, but of course, to get more useful and practical outputs from the LLMs, you have to ground them, right? There's a, this notion mm-hmm. of grounding the models. Yeah. Um, now, there's a lot of discussion right now because we're so early stage, people just trying to learn this grounding space. I just wonder if you would be able to kind of walk through what the different grounding techniques are for models, because I think it is really for, for organizations that want to get value out of, out of LLM, out of Gen AI, they really need to get this right. Like how do they get their own data to ground these foundational models? Mm -hmm. I think the most important challenge organizations are facing is not in terms of building their own LLM, but it's because tech wise it's absolutely doable. The more important question is the security aspect. Like, and um, if we are, you know, building our own um, LLM, like what sort of information do we train it on? And what sort of information do we expose to the end users? So there are a couple of, a couple of techniques which are coming up and the research in this space has been so rapid that it's astonishing to see how quickly you can build your own LLM and without the need of, you know, zillion parameters and so much space, because every organization is tackling something very specific. And what the existing LLMs, they are trained on, obviously, a lot of data, because they are expected to answer anything and everything. Whereas when it comes to organizations tackling a particular challenge, they can narrow down the scope to just that particular 
for example, if we are trying to build an LLM, we'll only focus on process integration and we don't care about anything else. We don't care about, we don't expect people to come and ask, hey, what's the capital of France? We, we expect them to ask questions related to integration. And that's that's what we, we will train our LLMs to. So the first technique and which is a lot of companies are adopting is fine tuning. So you can typically take the transformer architecture, the learning mechanism that has been developed and then fine tune it with your own data set. That way you are able to protect your data, the security aspect, um, because you own the model. You you fine tune it, the, the, the final model product, pickle file or GZ, whatever file format, it's, it's, it sits with you and you're not exposing it um, to some other third party and you hold it. But the challenge here is that you need to host it. So you you are responsible for security, authentication, scalability, all of that. That's the number one challenge. So the aspect of fine tuning itself with your own in your own data set is not the big challenge. The aspect is how do you take care of security, authentication, and all of those things. And if you still want to uh, not go with fine tuning, the other way of uh, grounding the model is uh, model adaptation layers. So there has been a lot of research done on maybe you can implement you know additional neural network layers or mechanism on top of the pre-trained model which is kind of similar to fine tuning but here you are mm-hmm. actually changing the structure of the learning pattern itself um, maybe you can make it richer or maybe you don't need that complex neural network you can reduce the number of layers so you can play with that as well and again the aspect of you know, holding the data, uh, holding the model yourself in your repository, scalability, all of these things come in under your bucket. Whereas if you use something which which is a third party or like AWS Bedrock or something, all you need to do is just, just give it some examples of how, like do some prompt engineering and instruct the LLM and it will do the job. You don't need to worry about uh, hosting, scalability, authentication, any of that. But then, then the caveat is that you you it's like a black box and you have absolute mm-hmm. little control on it. So I think organizations are leaning towards having maybe for some use cases, they use the existing LLMs and for some use cases, which are lower risk, um, you know, try to use fine tuning or this model adaptation layers. Um, mm-hmm. So this, this combination would what will uh, lead organizations to, because they also need to be very agile. So if you start building your own LLMs, it's also a time consuming because you need to test out and you need to uh, build this new infrastructure. So I think it's a fine balance of uh, using LLMs for some use cases and fine tuning and model adaptation layers for some other use cases. To me, this is a fascinating area because one of the things that I'm not always clear on is what's the algorithm and what's the data? Like, you know, which is affecting which and what should I focus upon? So the, it, it sounds very similar in the way you're describing this here. Do you see that most organizations will probably use a foundational model that someone else built, whether it's yeah. Amazon or Google or Meta or something, and then tune? Or are we moving along the path where eventually everyone will sort of build their, sort of invest in their own foundational platform? It's, it's almost like an AI platform or an LLM platform or something, right? Right. Do we... Are we going to be focusing mostly on other people's platforms for a while, or are we already on the road to sort of building our own? Where where does it where does that fall really? 
I think absolutely yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's the the pace at which it's it's moving on I think it's going to be people are going to start developing their own um, LLMs pretty wow. soon it's the way it's wow. democratized mm-hmm. because it's it, it's become so easy to to build something of your own like even if you don't have a extensive coding background you can you can learn it so quickly and build it so it's it's become very and even a lot of these uh, LLMs have been open source so you can really understand and if you're if you're have that background the the data science background you can easily learn how it works and and build on top of it so i don't i i don't think it's going to be we just relying on these llms for a while it's going to be we learn from them and then we build our own and it's already happening so it's going to change pretty fast so, wow so yeah so the thing so that that seems to make sense for the data part, right? Like, because it's my data, like you were talking about earlier about privacy and security and knowing what you expose uh, in the model. Uh, does that mean we'll kind of be using a lot of the same algorithms, but customized with our data? Or are people going to be building new algorithms as well, do you think? I think the first, the fine tuning aspect will be more widespread yeah. because it's easier to yeah. do. But definitely the other aspect of of changing the model and building your own algorithm is also but yeah definitely it's going to pick up pace at a slower rate than uh, fine-tuning we're just with the data wow so i certainly stand corrected on on that one but but uh and it'll be interesting to see uh you know this is again could be a a reflection of my, my bubble right that that i think this is i'm really fascinated to see how that develops but in in today's world where you know people are interacting with these LLMs, the, the big foundational models, the big providers, um, it's it is via API, right? I mean, I think that's yeah, you can certainly go and play with Chat GPT in a in a chat window, or whatever. But I think as as companies are implementing more business oriented use cases around the use of the LLM technology, they'll be using the APIs. Right? Are there like are there ways to sort of ground the model in real time using the APIs? I think you mentioned prompt engineering before, mm-hmm. but like what what are how how can you get one of these big models to play nice with your data? Yeah, I think that once prompt engineering is the number one thing and that's something we are also playing with our use cases. Because of course if you if you leave it very open ended, users can just misuse it. Um so when it comes to of course, we'll be using APIs and there are ways to ground a model using advanced uh, prompt engineering where you provide more context-specific information like setting the tone or style or format of the response and you just guide the model to use the information you provide. And the prompt can sometimes include like do not respond to these kind of messages or you know, you can get very specific on what you what is it that you need the, the LLM to perform based on the organization needs. So we have a lot of things when it comes to making sure the questions that the users are asking adhere to the uh, principles and they just don't uh, ask anything random. So we we kind of restrict them to ask specific things about the use case itself using the prompt engineering. We also, I think another thing we can do is uh, maybe combine the API outputs with some sort of internal processing where the raw output from the API can be, you know, further processed internally using our own specific algorithms. And this post-processing can align more closely with with our business requirements. And uh, yeah, I think the combination of like 
prompt advanced prompt engineering and internal processing of the api outputs i think these are the two ways that come on top of my head for for grounding it that's that's a good point I, i've seen a i've seen a lot of energy put into how do you provide the right inputs to the models in order to get the right outputs but that's a good point about you don't have to just give the outputs <laughs> directly <laughs> to the users right and what you can do with those outputs there's even a sort of invert the approach no interesting yeah there's yeah. a lot of layers right yeah. yeah, and then some of these models allow to pass like a lo longer system context or prompts. So you can be very, very specific and you can literally, because we experimented a lot with, with changing the prompts and seeing the model, how it responds. And it's it's completely astonishing how little bit tweak in the prompts leads to um, such diverse answers. So it's a very powerful thing. It's a, it's a kind of a, it's non-deterministic non-deterministic, mm -hmm. right? You kind yeah. of converge on content. You maybe have to do it a few times before you come up with something that uh, uh, that makes sense, right? Oh, and yet you can't be 100% sure like this is what the yeah. LLM would generate. Yeah. There'll still be some variation, <laughs> but at least you can be sure that this is absolutely something I don't want. <laughs> I'll know it when I see it kind of, <laughs> kind of a result, eh? So this, this sort of leads me to... Um, one of the things we've seen in the API space as the API space matures is we talk about a thing called the API economy. We, we think of people who have been able to use API technology to create uh, viable business values, to exchange value, when, you know, whether it's you know, shared services like credit card uh, authorization or SMS messaging or, or something more dedicated all the way up to, you know, user management, customer interface, Salesforce kind of, kind of, uh, you know, models. So is, is there something like that for AI? I mean, is there going to be an AI economy if I take my data and your algorithm or, you know, your, you know, there's automatic fine tuning is, is there kind of a platform for uh, an AI economy somewhere in this somewhere? I mean, I would love that, but I think <laughs> we we do see organizations today struggling with a variety of systems they have that have grown over the years, like both both organic and inorganic growth. So mm -hmm. basically, organic growth has forced companies to come up with quick tools in house or customize off the shelf tools heavily, but. Mm -hmm. Inorganic growth means that additional tools to do the same task coming from new organizations acquired. So in this fast-paced world, there is really, really no time for proper integration. And hence, I think over a period of time, any reasonable size organization deals with a long list of tools. That's where like, you know, maybe our company, Boomi, helps these integrations and makes it very easy mm. uh, where data resides. So organizations do want to make sense of variety of data that resides in all these desperate systems. So that's where I see like a marriage between, you know, API and AI, because they, they definitely need to coexist and help to maximize returns and benefits. So I think APIs and AI need to need to get married together and have like an ecosystem so we can call it something fancier than a api AI <laughs> but, but that's right. so definitely not just for insights we also for prediction for decision making um so i think mm -hmm. yes that's where we need to it's not there yet but we need to get there is is there i mean i, I think we've seen sort of this growth of 
of Langchain almost like a, it seems to be, you know, this in this model orchestration space and providing connectors into different systems. Um, OpenAI launched the GPT marketplace, I think they're calling yeah. it. Like, yeah. And it seems like there's, and I think AWS has this notion of agents that they're using in bedrock and so on. Like, it seems like there's, maybe it's too early, but I, I feel like there could be these, this idea of building these sort of focused agents that are LLM based or AI based that serve these different purposes. And it yeah. seems like a lot of what they're doing is, is they're being powered by APIs. So in other words, if you build an agent to, if you build a travel agent agent, then you could, mm -hmm. you know, back it up with some APIs from some travel broker to book hotels and book, um, you know, book flights and so on. Like, do you, have you kind of, kind of looked into the crystal ball there around how this kind of affects the whole application ecosystem? Do you think there's merit in this model of agents, which are backed by actions and knowledge base and so on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the the world has definitely evolved in the last few years on the on the agent aspect because it's the same thing. Like we we started with like a simple bot to answer simple questions, and now it has you know matured to to do more sophisticated, conversational, dynamic, and now we're calling it as agent, this this AI agent, which can do a lot more. But I think it's it's similar to how we started with a bot. Now the agent is supposed to do specific tasks, like you mentioned, um, travel agent ask questions about travel. And I think the... Um, it's just, it's still a long way to go. I know I've played with the, the GPT marketplace and it's pretty much doing the same thing what a regular uh, chat GPT interface does. It's just, mm. you can be more specific and align it to do, it's like some, something similar which you can do with prompt engineering. And mm. I think the idea came and the gear, what they're gearing towards is like LLM ops, similar to ML ops mm. or data ops or DevOps. So it's mm. still in a very nascent stage where organizations are trying to, to marry this uh, aspect of creating smart agents, uh, giving quick responses uh, to improve satisfaction, response, resolution, and, and save money for the company because the company can be very specific that I only want um, an agent that does so-and-so. And that's how I think they are going to envision and they, these companies are going to give you a package deal like, hey, I'll give you an agent which, which um, does so-and-so. Like, you can just for that agent rather than uh, mm, buying the entire right. yeah that's how it's gonna I feel it's gonna go interesting that, that's that sort of leads me to think that if you're thinking about this from a from a market or a product standpoint the the early play is uh, in tooling and foundational elements more than it is in sort of you know top level implementations of some travel agent, what you probably need is a better way to build the travel agent or an easier set of tooling um, or a way to manage your data or ma manage the fine tuning or some of the other grounding bits. Does that make sense? Is, right. is that kind of the early stage? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah very, very interesting. So we've, we've actually talked a lot about AI, but um, really uh, so much of what you do is based on the data involved in, in the data space. Um, 
is is there are organizations missing opportunities when 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 just to think about the what, what data they have and how to use it how to optimize their own operations or how to use it to help them figure out their next strategy or steps is is there more there just in the data itself not just ai but just in the data itself definitely i think one thing that organizations are missing out and large or mid scale enterprises still tend to operate a lot in silos where you know the the power of integration is still missing and hence we we see like so many initiatives from different departments like hr finance legal and everybody is trying to do something similar but they have access to different data sources or they they are not integrated well with all the diverse teams so i think that's where this latest trend of uh, the need of the r is having some sort of like chief ai officer or uh, generative ai officer which is becoming a common notion where this person or this this particular role person will be able to see what we have in demand of late and rightfully you know somebody at the c level who can oversee and create a team and try to break these silos because we do have the data we it's just how we empower it and how we use it given the state of the art and be sure we are agile so i think this chief data officer or chief ai officer would be something that the companies should invest in and plug it in so that they are able to leverage data and break the silos that exist awesome yeah it's it's changing everything even right down to the to the organizational structure i'm sure so that's great and now now swagat that we did mention at the start that you have your own podcast that you just launched the data dojo um and and i think people who want to explore these topics further can can, can go there like what tell us about the podcast you know what 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 led you to start it what what can people what's the theme what can what can people expect to uh, to get out of your podcast yeah so it's it's like a long story actually so i mentioned that when i started my data science journey and it was uh, back in 2017 it was not as democratized as it is today. So if you want to learn something and become a data scientist, of course, there are courses in universities, but there was a lot of self-learning and figuring out where to get a job, where to, what to do, how do you connect with people in the similar community who are doing facing similar journeys. It was very difficult. Like you cold email so many people, you build a community on LinkedIn, but it took me a lot of time. And when I was in a decent job and position i had a lot of people who reached out to me and said hey how do we do this how do we get into this role how do we improve our resume uh, how do we meet more like-minded people just to discuss and ideate i figured that there needs to be some sort of communication channel to help because i for one can only help limited number of people and similarly people who are in similar position like me are only able to cater to a small set of audience so I felt the need to create some sort of community, which is why I did the Women in Data chapter in San Francisco. And even when I joined the chapter, you know, there would be different kind of requests from people. Hey, can we do this? Can we do that? And that's where I started talking about why, why not do something which is even more scalable and could reach a wider audience. And um, I'm only catering to, it's not that I am part of women in data. I don't advocate for data for other other people and other genders. It's just that <laughs> that time that, that seemed like a need of the hour because we did have a minority, a le less representation of women in data. Mm -hmm. But I did want to create something which 
has a wider reach and that's where i started uh, data dojo which mm. is focusing on not just you know technical knowledge it's it's focusing on the journeys of people who have come to this different data roles and how they interact with data so it's not limiting to people who are data scientists it's it's mm. talking about people who work in any capacity with data science or ai so i've had a, somebody from a ux background and she gave such an interesting perspective mm-hmm. on how she interacts with ai and how she sees the future of ai so that's the purpose of this channel we also will focus on how to get more job opportunities in data so it it it's the idea of encompassing all the different questions that people have in this field be it in terms of job resume or just to know anything about how different people of different backgrounds interact with data so that's the idea of the podcast so i i love this idea of of thinking about you know how to how to scale differently right we using the podcast as as that as that example um so it, it, doing a podcast takes you know takes a lot of planning a lot of is you know is is this something that you kind of have a map for or are you just sort of taking it one step at a time how can uh are you open to new content like how can people get in touch with you and maybe even talk to you about hey can you give us some uh some ideas on how to solve problem X or something mm-hmm. like that. How, how can people interact? Yeah. So I, um, I'm a very organized and planner person. So I uh, did have like a <laughs> idea and I did some research Same. on podcasting, which said that, you know, most people um, end at six or seven episodes or 10 episodes. So if wow. you do more than 21 episodes of a podcast, you are actually in the top 5% in the world. <laughs> so, really? That was my goal. Like I, no matter what, I have to do twenty-one episodes. <laughs> I love this Perfect. data-driven idea. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then I wanted to have a you know mix of different people, different backgrounds, sure. and solve different kind of problems. Like I mentioned, job hunting and helping people who are trying to find. Uh, some people have taken a career break and trying to pivot to data science, and some conversations sure. will be absolutely candid. So. I, I I do have like a rough plan of topics I want to cover and people I want to have, but I, as I said, I don't want to be very rigid and arrow-minded. So after I started the podcast, I did have people reach out and you know giving me more ideas. I'm like, yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. So I, it'll be like very the the, the goal only goal and and the uh, aim is to do 21 podcasts, 21 episodes. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's I love that's that's a that's a better answer than I could ever have hoped for. This is fantastic. Yeah. I'm looking forward to all 21. You have a strong mission statement and flexibility and options. That's the way. And a measurable way goal. Go. I mean, it's all there. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. Awesome. Well, well Swigert, it's so fun to to chat with you and, you know, I've learned so much here. Um just the 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 ground covered. Loved hearing your story really uh, enjoying your podcast and it's been great to have you as a guest on the API experience. So, so thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun talking about uh, these different two worlds merging together. So I'm excited to see it in action as well. Thank you very much. You had a great time. Looking forward to talking to you again. Awesome. Thanks. And I have no doubt our listeners enjoyed this API experience and we look forward to joining again on the next API experience. Bye for now. Bye.